Hello, welcome to another episode of the Project Purple Podcast. I'm Dina Verley, founder and CEO of Project Purple. And we have another interview for you coming up with a very special guest today. But first, I just wanted to give a quick update. At the time of recording this episode, we are rolling, literally, into the holiday season. Uh, we've had runners having finished races in Berlin, London, Twin Cities, Chicago, New York City, and other events across the country. We also have had gyms and group fitness teams hosting our push-pull events and all sorts of other fundraisers. And I just wanted to say a big thank you to everyone who is helping to spread awareness, raise funds, and help us fight for a world without pancreatic cancer. If you'd like to see how you can get involved, visit projectpurple.org and follow Project Purple on all social media channels. Happy holidays from all of us here at Project Purple. And without further ado, let's meet our special guest today, coming to us all the way from, it looks kind of sunny. It's rainy here in Connecticut, but it looks sunny down there. And it's all the way from Austin, Texas, pancreatic cancer survivor, Jennifer Beckage. Jennifer, thank you for joining us here on the Project Purple Podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. Well, I'm excited. I know we were... Uh, the audience doesn't know this, but we were supposed to record earlier this morning. We had a slight uh, kind of, not a mix up, but we were like on the fly. Let's like, hey, let's do this later on when we both have more time dedicated to this. I know you had some work stuff. You've got a busy personal life and professional life, which we're going to get into. So appreciate the opportunity to have you on. Um, as I said before we hit record, we were kind of catching up and, and talking a little bit about the format. Our first segment of the podcast is always the guest opportunity to kind of share their background. I mentioned you're a pancreatic cancer survivor, uh, but the first segment is always the guest opportunity to kind of share their background with pancreatic cancer. And as I said before we hit record, you can go as far back or stay as high level as you want to kind of introduce yourself to our audience. And with that, the microphone is yours, Jennifer. All right. Thank you. So I, I'll go back a little bit. I started my professional career in technology during the dot-com era and was an owner of some technology companies. One, we led to a sale to a publicly traded company that retained me on as vice president of operations. And during that process and going through due diligence, I realized there really weren't any attorneys that knew technology. So I decided to go to law school as a second career and focus on tech. And there were no technology courses or focus, but I was at a great law school that really allowed me to sort of pursue that path and started practicing as an attorney. And when data breaches really started to first happen, because I had this legal background and tech background, I started getting phone calls from my old friends that were technologists back in the late 90s and started working on data breaches. So I have my own law firm, it's called The Beckage Firm, and we work on data breaches and uh, compliance for data security and privacy issues, punitive class actions, and also regulatory investigations. So during my work as a data breach lawyer is when I found out that I had pancreatic cancer. I was very healthy. Every year I would do a half marathon, or a Tough mutter, And in fact, just months prior to my diagnosis, I had completed a sprint triathlon. Even when I finished the triathlon, I was, I was like, let's do it again. <laughs> I was having such a great time. But I was having a lot of the telltale symptoms of pancreatic cancer, but just wasn't getting that right answer as to what it was. I met with an incredible doctor who did all the tests and we quickly found out that I had pancreatic cancer. And I'll say I was being tested during the holidays, a time when it would have been so easy for me to just cancel that doctor's appointment because I'm preparing for the holidays or family's coming over, but I'm glad that I made those appointments and that I stuck to them. I was diagnosed on January 10th, 2020. This was just a few months before COVID hit. I was diagnosed on a Friday, and by the next week, I was flying around trying to get as many opinions as I can about pancreatic cancer and what I could do about it. I didn't know a lot about it myself. 
I didn't have anyone in my family that had a history of pancreatic cancer. I just didn't know much. So as a lawyer, obviously doing a lot of research and putting my lawyer hat on and really being a champion for myself and my diagnosis. I ended up being in New York City and had the immense gift to be able to have surgery first to remove the remove the tumor. And after that, I underwent about a year-long chemo sessions, followed by radiation every day for five weeks. My chemo sessions were three days long, so I would go all day Friday, um, move my chemo bag into my fanny pack, take it home with me Friday night, all day Saturday, Saturday night, Sunday, and then Sunday night, a nurse would come disconnect me. But again, I just want to highlight this was during COVID, right when COVID hit, when Dr. Gupta was telling us to wash our food and we're spraying down our mail before we get into the house. Very, very different experience. I didn't have the benefit of food trains and people coming with me and sitting with me. Instead, I was greeted by essentially hazmat teams, it felt like when I would show up for chemo and I would be alone and the nurses were just so incredible, making me still feel <clears throat> warm and comforted, even though I couldn't have anyone with me. I was also quite terrified of getting COVID. And I know a lot of people stopped seeking cancer treatment because they were scared of getting COVID. So I would wear two outfits. I would wear an outfit and then I'd wear a set of clothes over my clothes. I would wear, uh, goggles, a shower cap, a hat, cleaning gloves. Again, this was when everything on the news was about COVID and people losing their lives. So I would wear all these clothes. I would be dropped off for my chemo. When I would leave, I would have to you know, walk out by myself. I would get to the car. I would take out that first layer of clothes, throw it into a garbage bag, tie it up, throw it in the trunk, I had three small, I have three small children. So they were in the car at the time. I didn't want them to get COVID. So I, I would sanitize, get into the front seat. And as soon as I got home, would strip down all the rest of my clothes, throw that into a garbage bag, leave it in the garage for about 48 hours, 72 hours, and then go take a shower and then finally rest after receiving treatment. Just a very different experience. It's so wild. I mean, to hear you say this, so that's a lot for anyone, right? And, and I'm not, I'm not here. We're not going to bring up. Well, was it right? Was it wrong? I'm just saying, like, that's a lot for anyone, like even for able-bodied people. But remember, you're battling pancreatic cancer. You're on this chemo regimen. Anyone who knows has had family members has been through it. The, the chemo is super toxic, right? It's not like, you know, they don't give you, they give you the full force chemo. They don't give you, they don't, they don't lighten anything up unless it's, you know, per the protocol. But in most cases, you're right. getting a full dosage of Flufluronox or 5-FU, which is super toxic. So probably didn't feel all that great. And you got to do all these other things. On top of everything, right? And on top of all this isolation, going in by yourself, being in there. And I know we've heard many stories of how great the, the staffs are. You know, I mean, they're, they're always amazing, right? The nurses. I always thought uh, when I went through with my dad, like the nurses were really the backbone of any oncology suite. So for any oh. nurses out there listening, right? Like they're really the, the, the people that make any institution click. But you're going through that. And then you got to do all this. Yeah, the probably the most interesting thing for me was, and I didn't feel it when I was going through it, but you may remember about a year ago when we all thought COVID was over and we started traveling again. Yeah. It was during that time when I started to see people again that I realized how much I was craving physical contact with people. People couldn't come and give me a hug. They couldn't come over and cry with me and sit with me. It was all over Zoom or FaceTime. And I didn't, I didn't feel that and appreciate that because I was just rallying to live. Failure was not an option for me. I had small children. I had a business. I was an entrepreneur. 
I, I had to survive this. So just, I wasn't thinking about myself in that way until afterwards. And then that's when I really, really kind of felt the pain of that, of that loneliness, if you will. And I'm not alone. There were so many, so many others that were in a similar situation, but so I, I went through uh, my, my treatment and I, I, a very close friend of mine that I've known for a really long time, she was also getting chemo at the same time. So we would meet on Friday for chemical cocktails. It was our happy hour, right? And I at least it, for some part of my treatment had someone to, to meet with. And she didn't have pancreatic, but she didn't make it. And it just boggles my mind how some of us make this and some of us don't. I, I don't know why there isn't an answer. My doctors don't know why. Just, you know, we can send people to space for commercial flights, but we can't figure out why some are going to beat this and some are not going to beat this. So anyway, so I went through treatment and became very active and, you know, spreading the word about pancreatic cancer, speaking with others. I think every day for at least an hour a day, I'm talking to somebody. Someone's called me and says, I have a friend who got diagnosed. Can you talk to them? What did you do? And I remember, as you know, the odds are horrible. You have a 10% chance of making it. You have a 90% chance of dying within three to five years. Those are horrible odds. I'm an attorney. <laughs> if I had a client who had a case like that, I'd be like, well, I don't think we're going to win. But when you have children and you have the will and determination, you just want to make it. I remember doing a pancreatic cancer walk. And at the walk, they had all these chairs in the center for all the survivors of pancreatic mm -hmm. cancer. And there was a lot of these beautiful chairs out there. And there was only a handful of us sitting there. And that was the first time I felt what 10% looked like. Hmm. It was just, it was just such a poignant moment for me in the realization of, wow, this is a huge hurdle. There were more people standing around who had lost someone, you know, like you with your father than those actually sitting in the chairs. So like you, I became immediately driven to do more, talk more about it. I want people, it's a third leading cause of cancer-related deaths in the US, but it's not a cancer that's talked about enough. So I love that you have your podcasts and are helping to spread the word. Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing that, Jen. I, I want to rewind a little bit here. So you mentioned that signs, like you had signs. So what were those signs? I mean, I know you, you mentioned like and I think we've, we probably, well, not everyone, but a lot of people listening, like I can relate to what you were saying, because as an entrepreneur, you wear many hats. And as a young parent, you wear many hats, right? Like you're, whether, you know, co-parenting, you know, household, you're double, you know, doubling down on getting food, groceries, kids here, there, um, then, oh, there's the business end, right? Like you're trying to build a career, you're juggling many hats within the business. So life is so busy that sometimes we kind of forget. Um, and, and I'm not saying that you forget, but like sometimes signs and symptoms, I guess, can kind of go like, ah, uh, I just, like last night, I was out till late, you know, I had a coffee this morning, it didn't sit well with me, maybe it was just because I'm sleep deprived, right? Or, you know, kid was up last night, you know, slept in the bed, I didn't get great sleep, and uh, I missed breakfast this morning, and I'm having this gurgling in my stomach, maybe it's just because I'm hungry. So when you say signs and symptoms that you were experiencing during that time, what were those, if you can kind of share with our audience? So some of my signs were... Stomach pains, lethargic, cramps, weight changes. Just, I had this intuition something wasn't right. It wasn't, oh, I worked a lot this week. It was, I was really just wiped out. And I kept having these stomach pains that I, that were not normal for me. And mm -hmm. I, I just felt it in my gut. I, I don't know how to explain it. And I think we all have that intuition a little bit. So, you know, just trusting my own intuition and not being satisfied with any answers that I was getting. But again, I'm, I go back to, I'm a lawyer. <clears throat> I, 
I've litigated a lot of matters. I'm a strong advocate for my clients. So I was a strong advocate for myself. And many people aren't or don't know how to really raise the alarm, if you will. After, and, and I'll, I'll kind of give you an example of this. So I, I finished my cancer journey and about this time last year, I went for a scan and there were some concerns about my scan. We weren't sure what they were, but there were some spots. We need to take some time, do some tests, rule some things out. I immediately was thinking I've got five months, right? It seems like everyone who has pancreatic cancer, it's like, you've got five months. Mm-hmm. I <clears throat> left the practice of law to do bucket list items with my family, spend time with my children, took them to the Grand Canyon. I drove a race car, which I always wanted to do. I literally prepared for the end. I actually have sitting over here a folder. It's called the end. I wrote my own obituary. I divided up my personal sentimental items for my children. I was writing tons of things for my kids, you know, give my, they're in elementary school. So, you know, give to my son when he gets married, give to my daughter the first time she has a heartbreak, you know, all, as many things that I, this pressure, right. To try to, and I was grateful that I had this time to do this, but this pressure, how do you raise your ch- kids in a few months while still trying to spend time with them? I even started working up at their school as a cafeteria monitor, just so I could be with them as much as possible before you know my possible death. But we ended up ruling out in uh, beginning in January of this year what some of the things that we were seeing, and then on I think it was May twelfth, I received a tell you know had my regular call with my doctor, my telehealth call, and they said where I was and what I've done, I'm cancer free. They don't see this coming back. They the chances of me having it back are no more than you. And I just was flabbergasted. I was not expecting that call. I actually recorded myself right after that call because I just wanted to memorialize this incredible feeling to know that I'm I'm going to live. So this was in May. I had some other personal traumas that occurred, including in I think it was the end of June, beginning end of June, beginning of July, my mom was having stomach issues and she went to the doctor. They thought it was a hernia. It wasn't, it was stage four pancreatic cancer. And she died within a couple of weeks. It's not hereditary. We've done the genetic tests and thankfully I was able to see her in some of her last lucid moments that she had before she passed. But just like me, she wanted to keep fighting to the end you know, this was such a stupid disease that we don't have an answer to. So I know we were talking about symptoms, but for my mom, again, not to say that she wasn't a champion for herself, but it's just so easy. Like you said, you're busy day to day. Maybe they're, you know, just missing things, right? For yourself or somebody else is missing something but to not be able to have identified it earlier to help prevent against it. So it was kind of reliving again, this whole process that I went through this time last year. And it was really interesting for me and obviously emotional because when I was going through my scare this time last year, I was so afraid of leaving my kids without a mom. And then here I am, the child losing the mom. It just gave me a lot of perspective. And obviously for our family to be struck by lightning twice with this stupid cancer was mind blowing. Well, I'm sorry to hear about your mom. Uh, I, I can't, as you say that you're sharing that story, I can't imagine. And I, and again, I'm taking notes here. <coughs> Excuse me. I wrote down PTSD. Like, and, and well, first, let me say this. I, I think hindsight's always going to be twenty twenty, right? As we look back on things, and and I think that it's a loaded question. Um, you know, in terms of like when sometimes people say, and I think you mentioned like your mom 
like, you know, we were living life and you just go on. And, and it's a, it's a loaded question in the sense of like, you know, if someone says, well, did you ever notice anything? Um, or, you know, sometimes I ask the question like, well, how did you not know? But then you, you know, you, you made a very powerful statement in that, you know, like you knew, like you have this intuition. We, and, and that's, I think something that us as human beings, um, like we know our bodies, right? And we know something's not right. And I think that the biggest lesson out of that piece here is if someone listening, you know, if they go to the doctor and the doctor says, well, it's just like, you know, kids, right? You got three kids under eight and, you know, that's just life. Nah, that's not the right answer, right? Like if you know deep down inside that something's not right and you're not getting the right answer or it's not checking that box, that this is the reason for it, go find another doctor, right? And I think that's so powerful to always trust your internal working, that intuition to know that like, hey, something's not right. It's This is not normal. Um, but in fairness to, you know, People, when we ask that question, like, did you notice anything? I, I, I think, like, again, hindsight's always going to be twenty twenty when we look back when we have the answers, right? To to look right. at certain situations and go, oh, shoulda, coulda, woulda, but like in the, in that moment, like, it's it's that's unfair to say that. Um, but to your point about the disease, I, 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 you know, I'm super passionate about, you know, we need, we need early detection like that. That's going to be the game changer in this. And, and we know by looking at other diseases, um, breast cancer for one of them, colon cancer, right? We have colonoscopies. We know that people now at 45 doing colonoscopies, now they've lowered the guidance. You know, that's a game changer. And look, in the, in the past 48 hours, you know, Christy Alley, Kirstie Alley, you know, right. passed away yeah. from colon cancer, right? Um, mm -hmm. Cedric Bosman, you know, the, the, the great actor from Marvel, you know, he passed away at such an early age of colon cancer, right? Um, and I believe his was caught in, you know, routine screening in, in colonoscopy. So there are tests, you know, breast cancer, mammograms, you know, the guidance has moved down now, you know, for people with genetics. So we are pushing, uh, there are a lot of groups in that space. And, and you know, but I do think though, the most powerful piece that we can spread and raise awareness is, is to the powerful statement that you said, you know, you know, everyone knows their body best, right? right? The doctors don't know, but you as an individual know your body better than anyone else. So you have to really be that, that self-advocate and trust your intuition. You know, if something doesn't feel right, that you have to speak up or try to really push to get the answers to what's really going on underneath the hood. I remember my mom when I was younger would always say, no one's going to look out for you better than you. Correct. So I, I agree. And, you know, there's a lot of things that we can do, whether it's more training of doctors and physicians and physicians assistants, right? Early detection. But again, even without that, being a strong advocate for yourself is, is really important. I, I remember when, just like everybody else who's diagnosed with any cancer going through this immediately, you start to scour the internet, which is a dark, dark, scary place. And I love that you're having this podcast, especially to talk with survivors because hope was so important to survival. And I would look for anyone who beat this, especially my demographic and a everything, right? Who's like me that's out there? Who's a young, healthy mom that loves to work and you know is full of energy and life? Who's beating this? And I would see like an article or a blog post, and I'm like, yes, yes, yes. And I, I'm getting so excited. And then always at the end of the post was like, sadly, four months after this writing, you know, so and so died. It's like, oh my gosh, this is. I just needed some positive stories. And a lot of people think that pancreatic cancer just relates to people who are older in their 60s, 70s or older. And it's not. I know I'm probably coming across like I'm in my 20s, but I'm not. But I'm not <laughs> 60, 60 either, somewhere in between. But it, it was so important to me to try to find others that did it so that I had more confidence in myself and being able to beat it. And then what did they do? 
I was talking about my friend meeting up for chemical mm-hmm. cocktails at chemo. What was the difference? Why, why are, can some people beat this and not? I went, I had the benefit of having incredible doctors and had the benefit again of having surgery. Not everyone can have surgery, which for pancreatic cancer is, is a big piece. But I started doing a ton of research about all kinds of illnesses across the globe and other countries. And I discovered, and this is my own personal research, but I discovered that when you look at people that survive, yes, medical treatment, can you have surgery, right? There's some, there's some, you know, medical reasons for being able to beat something. But when you look at all these other factors, it was really mindfulness, gratitude, positive affirmations, a will to live, meditation. So every single day before I open my eyes in the morning, I always think about what I'm grateful for. And then I open my eyes and then I created my own list of positive affirmations that are personal to me. And I go through those. I meditate. I take time for myself just to have some quiet moments and I'll even put it on my calendar as a hold, you know, like I I need this time just to make sure that I'm centered and, and, you know, have that right frame of mind. I'm not a doctor. I I don't know that's helped me, but I found it interesting. The more that I studied, the more that I saw individuals talking about how powerful those things were in their path to recovery. So I'm smiling here and and I'm glad you bring this up. So I know before we hit record, we were talking a little bit about the podcast. And so I think this is five years that we're going, we're going into five years. I don't know. We're, we're 200 plus episodes. And I have to tell you probably 90, uh, I'm going to go out on a limb. I don't have the statistic, but I, I think I have the statistic. It's like 95 plus percent of the survivors that we've talked to have all just said, what a, not not the main reason, but one of when we say like, okay, what? How do you get through this? Right? It's positive attitude. It's those things, and, and I can't tell you. And, and and I guess how I'll say this is, I don't think you can force that on anyone, right? So for listeners listening at home, and and correct me, you know. Jen, jump in here because I've never been through cancer myself, but from what I've heard when I'm interviewing survivors and listening, it's not something that can be forced on anyone. Some of them do it, you know, it's been part of their life their whole time and that's how they're wired, right? Like something comes at them, boom, whatever, move on. Others, you know, they they go through it and then there's this like tipping point where there's acceptance and then they realize like okay i'm out man like i'm i'm out with the negative i'm in with the positive and you know they see this major shift in you know their their care their attitude their quality of life and everything so they get there at some point right but i'll tell you nine, 95 plus percent of the survivors we've had on the podcast all bring that up and in, in like they're i would say in the top 3 yeah. At some point, we're going to write a book here, and then this will be that we'll have the statistical data because yeah. we'll have someone go yeah. back and listen to all of them. But I'm so that that is so on point with that because uh, that is like like I said, either one, two, or three, and like, hey, how do you get through this? Positive attitude, you know, you got to have that attitude, and it's so critical, and and not to be a broken record or to be corny, but it's true. It it is, but I. I do want to say if someone didn't beat pancreatic cancer, it wasn't because they didn't try to be positive either, right? Correct. I have a lot of it. I've always been a positive person. I'm always like this. I'm always smiling. I mean, this, this is a little bit of my character. And I've mentioned this. I talk a lot about my cancer journey and my professional career and the integration of both of those on LinkedIn a lot. When I went for my last haircut before I started chemo and was going to lose my hair. I walked into the salon and there was this little sign that said failures, uh, or sorry, it says, you never know how strong um, you are until it's the only choice you have. And I've got a couple of those signs in my house. 
I just wanted to be strong. And no matter what was being thrown at me, I wasn't going to let it derail me. And for me, my, my children are everything for me. So I, I, I wasn't, I wanted to see them graduate from elementary school. <laughs> so for me, I just wanted to sort of keep pushing forward as, as much as I, I could with a positive attitude and don't get me wrong. I've had some bad days, some very <laughs> dark, dark, bad days, but you just try to ride through it. I, I got COVID three times. Oh, wow. Two of them, I was in the hospital or gone to the emergency room. Just, it was post-treatment and my immune system was still extraordinarily weak. And I remember yeah. the last time that I had COVID, I was at home with my three little ones who were doing such a great job of taking care of me while I was home and everything was failing. Like I couldn't, it was just, it was shutting down. I mean, I, I remember laying there in bed thinking to myself, this is the stage before the stage of death. This is undoubtedly I'm on this path. And it was really kind of a beautiful experience in hindsight because I realized I wasn't scared. We spend so much time worrying about when you're going through cancer yourself, worrying about everybody else. Is everybody else going to be okay? And when you, when you think you might going, everyone's going to be fine, right? Everyone's going to figure it out. Things happen. We all have struggles in our life, but I, I was really sort of at peace with who I was as a person. And, you know, I loved myself and I was proud of my, the things that I did on this, you know, earth, this ball, you know, that we're sitting on. But even in those moments, I, I wasn't giving up, but I just was still positive. I wasn't, I, I never really would let myself go too dark or too scared because it's a slippery slope. It's hard to crawl back out of that dark, dark hole. So I, I, I got a question that just came up. So do you use certain strategies that maybe you can share? Um, I know you mentioned, you know, positive affirmations, meditation. So like, how do you avoid getting down that, you know, going too dark? Um, and to your point, like you said, like, it, it's not like every day is, hey, like, this is euphoria. Like every day is a great day. I mean, it, it's life, right? You roll with the punches. But you know, sometimes it's a crappy day, right? Like things happen, but you don't stay in that, that place, right? You're able to kind of get out of that place. And I've often said on the podcast, it's not always about being at on the top. I think social media and marketing has this great way of just pretending that life is always about being successful, winning the big case, having the big home, having the perfect life. But mm -hmm. there's a lot of struggle that you do to get like, you know, as an entrepreneur and as a small business owner, or, you know, as big as your company is now, it wasn't always that case, right? There were rejection letters and people saying no, or maybe not winning every case, right? But I think we tend to look at the highs and not the struggles to get there. So what strategies do you maybe use to kind of keep you out of going too low or, or, you know, getting out of that low and getting back into that, that medium ground and not necessarily at the very high, because that would be kind of, I think that'd be unfair to say like, you're always on this high level or at the very top in terms of success. I think it comes down to having a great tribe, a great support group. When I was first diagnosed, I started seeing cardinals all the time. And it there's a lot of different meanings that cardinals have, but many believe it means that somebody's looking out after you. That's what mm -hmm. my grandma used to say. And I used to see so many of these cardinals everywhere. And what was interesting is I went to, I've been treated by a few different cancer research institutes. When I would go into their gift shops, it'd be all cardinal gifts. Cardinals. Yes. So my law firm actually has a Cardinal logo as an <laughs> attorney so awesome. or a trusted advisor looking out after people. Right. And, but so this Cardinal is looking out after me, you know, whoever, whatever it is and it's meaning, but I, I have Cardinals in my life. I've got people that stood by my side, no matter what I was going through, who 
let me just cry hysterically on the phone for two hours and, you know, be blubbering and, you know, who, I don't even know what I'm talking about. Right. But I just needed to get it out of my system. I've got cardinals in my professional environment who look out for me and take care of me. I remember going through, it's one thing when you have cancer, but I think there is a difference when you have pancreatic cancer or a cancer that has horrible odds. It was literally like being at my own funeral, watching people fight over the paintings and the vases. It was like, everyone had already written me off. I had, I had close friends that told me, you should just go home and prepare for your death and spend time with your babies before you go. What? No, I don't talk to those people anymore. No, I'm not gonna just go home and call it quits. I'm gonna fight. So making sure that you've got the right people around you who are looking out after you, your own personal cardinals to get you through that and that are giving you those right, healthy, positive messages not trying to break you down or tell you to stop fighting and just lay down, but the ones that support you when the odds are just monumental to just keep going and I'm by your side. That That's what gets me through. I have people that I know that I can call in the middle of the night, anytime. If I call them at the strike of midnight on New Year's Eve, they would pick up the phone. I just need to talk. and And that's really important. And not everyone has that. And I'm not saying I even have a tremendous amount of cardinals in my life, but the ones that I have are so powerful for me. It it's life-changing. Yeah. I I think we, you hit such an important piece about support, right? And and to your point, not everyone has that, you know, not everyone's going to have cardinals, right? They may not have, they may have one, right? but that one is powerful, right? But the other thing is, you know, there are a lot of groups, advocates, right? Um, in the space, whether it's us, Pancan, Lustgard, and Hirschberg, just to name a few um, off the top of my head, um, you know, that have maybe not someone to the degree of, you know, calling and, you know, being able to vent, but there are resources out there. Um, I know we have, you know, um, a patient aid portfolio that, you know, just to give us a quick shout out, you know, people who are struggling financially that need help and assistance, you know, financially have an outlet. And there's other groups uh, throughout the country that do that as well. And I know we have resource lists, you know, if if people need assistance getting into centers or, you know, getting medical information, Pancan's got a great, you know, patient hotline that they provide support to. Um, But your point about having support is so critical. Uh, I think, you know, Going back again to my experience, you know, that's another top three, you know, one is positive attitude and, and, you know, and there's no, no order, but since you bring it up here is, is having that support staff and having people on your team that will support you in various ways and different ways. Um, some of them may not be medical. Some of them might be the person that comes over and, you know, plays games with you you know, to keep you distracted or help out with the kids. If you have kids, right. Do, or someone might be the meal train person, right. To help provide meals or, you know, keep, keep you going that way. But that is critical to have that support, um, with that. No. And I mean, I want to be a cardinal to others. I mean, I've, even as of this morning, messaging people that are going through pancreatic cancer journey and being a resource to them and telling them little tips, you know, when you, you have your surgery, bring your chapstick, an extra pair of socks, bring extension cords. You can make sure that your phone's always charged in, you know, just all those little practical things. There's no guide for, but it's even sometimes, you know, it could be just listening to one of those apps or meditation, um, you know, like the calm app or or something like that, just just to hear someone give positive things and and remind you that you are worth it and you can do this. And it also could just be someone that you admire and look up to. So for me as an attorney, I worked the whole time I was going through my treatment. And if you actually go back and and look at my LinkedIn, you'll see for a good year and a half, I had the same haircut every day because it was a wig. And I was, I was really moved and really respected for many reasons and had a chance to see her speak 
life before she passed, uh, the late Honorable Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who also had pancreatic cancer, who also during COVID, you'd see her working out. And I wrote her a letter and I said, you know, my name is Jen Beckage. You know, we're both you know, attorneys. I mean, your career is more successful than mine. <laughs> uh, we both have had pancreatic cancer. We both, and I'm not looking for a response to this letter, but when I had so many people tell me to quit, quit my job, just go home and lay down, you know, hope is so important. Like we talked about earlier, I loved working. It made me feel like I'm not sick. It gave me something else to do that was more meaningful than just kind of just sitting around with my own mind. And, you know, unfortunately I sent this letter and shortly thereafter she passed away, but she was a cardinal to me. She gave me so much inspiration, you know, setting aside, you know, how I admire her, you know, it, it, as, as a lawyer and a U.S. Supreme Court justice and all of that, but personally to see another female work battling cancer, not giving up working out that it was fantastic. So again, you know, sometimes it doesn't mean a whole crowd of people sitting around in a room. And sometimes that might even be unhealthy, right? It's like, yeah. can we stop talking about it? Like yeah. I'm getting depressed. It's yeah. really normal. Whatever normal is, is beautiful and helpful in a lot of different ways. So powerful. And, you know, I, I think back to something you asked off the air about the podcast. And I, I think, you know, sharing these survivor stories, right? Like, it, and you said something, I made a note here, positive stories, right? And and I've said this before, you said like, there's there weren't a lot of positive stories on the internet. You know, the internet can be a very dark hole and it is, uh, let's be honest. Um, and you know, it's the older people, you know, is what we are always told. One, this podcast hopefully is the positive stories, right? And but I think also there's two things. No one, no doctor can tell you, Jen, that you're not part of that eleven percent, which is a survival rate now, right? Like no one, you know, you you're part of that and you're you're living proof of that. So, you know, we also I often hear stories. You know, there was a the guy I interviewed yesterday who just got recently diagnosed and a doctor came in and said, hey, you know, you have three months to live. What do you want to do? And he was like, what? You know, and I'm like, yeah, that that's awful, right? Because no doctor knows. Like, and, and I think that's something that, and where I'm going with this is I think like the space as a whole, and I think this is where I call on my partner groups. Um, I run Project Purple, so I worry about Project Purple. But I think we, we've we tried to focus on, you know, stories of hope because I think, I, I do think there there's a business end of this, right? Like we're, we're trying to motivate people to fund cancer research towards cures and early detection. And there's a reality to it. And I think everyone knows the reality. Yes, we do have to make sure people are aware that it's, you know, the number three killer of all the major cancers. And it's number two in a lot of states. And it's projected to become number two nationwide in a very short period of time. I know that target moves a little bit, but within the next two to three years, that that will become a reality. So I, I think sometimes as advocacy groups, we kind of lead with that sometimes um, to try to motivate and try to get people to get involved and get engaged. But I, I'll take blame. I, I think for us, you know, um, sometimes we do get caught up in that. But I think, you know, we need to kind of share these stories. And I hope this is what this podcast does, right? Is share these survivor stories and share hope. And to that point where I go back to, like, there's no one out there that knows, like everyone who's been a guest, you know, we hope that they all survive and are part of that 11%. And that 11% now becomes, you know, 20% or 30%, yeah. you know, because we're sharing stories and because people are more aware of that. So I, I think, you know, I, I, you, you said stuff that's very powerful in, in terms of that positive story. So I just wanted to kind of bring that up because I do think that, um, you know, the space as a whole takes a little bit of blame on that, unfortunately, because I think we are trying to push maybe a little bit hard to, to get people motivated to, you know, fun research and to do these things because we are up against the wall a little bit with the disease because of the statistics and what everyone already knows. Yeah. I mean, 
other cancers <clears throat> had horrible odds before and they and don't they now. Correct. Right. And yes, when I was first diagnosed, it was 10% and now it has increased to 11%, which as someone who's battled pancreatic cancer, you know, the 1%, you know, doesn't get me overly excited, but I'm glad <laughs> there's at least a movement, right? Correct. Um, it's going in the right direction. It's going in the right direction, but we need, we don't need to increase by 1%. We do need to see 10, 20. And there are things that we can do like early detection, like coming up with other potential patient outcomes. I personally don't like to take a lot of drugs and medicines and, and things. So going through chemo and radiation, all that, that was really intense for me. After I'd have my children uh, having C-sections, you know, I, I would prefer to take just an aspirin or nothing afterwards than, than just sit on, you know, some drug, you know, feeling loopy for days. So I did a lot of very, I probably let the pendulum swing the other way, but you know, juicing my own things with wheatgrass and, you know, that's carrot based. I did tons of um, supplements and did just a lot of alternative possible remedies. And who knows what, what worked for me or if any of that did or didn't, but to let people know that there's, there are lots of different options out there and just do what feels good for you. Cause then at the end of that fight, you can say, I gave it all I got. And I was on board with that path. And maybe some of these things that we're not thinking about, you know, make change. It's I, I'm in the technology field and I know everyone's like, Jen Beckett, you're going to, you know, disrupt this space. And, you know, Jen Beckett, you're going to, you know, I love working with AI and, and, I, I speak a lot on advanced and emerging technologies, but how can we better use technology to make better predictions? You know, if you and I both have the same tumor, the same size, and we're about the same age and the same health and the same weight, all those sorts of things, why, you know, what should we have the same outcome? I don't know. We don't know anything that's personal to me and so I think we just need to continue to think outside the box. I have a website, beckagebrave.com, and I posted some pictures about me and my journey. It's it's not a, a lot on the on the site, but it, it it does have a way to contact me because I I'm interested to see is there some, let's just shake this up. There's got to be something different because we're we're not solving this problem, and it's an enormous problem. Yeah. And the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different right. results, right? Yes. So yeah. I, I got a question and I'm glad you just brought this alternatives up. So you mentioned something before, which I wrote down, you said you had gone to multiple centers. So was that part of that protocol was going to multiple centers because of different types of care to try different alternatives in terms of yeah. your treatment? Again, I had my lawyer hat on. So one <laughs> doctor said, this is what we would suggest. I want to get a second opinion. Yeah, I wanted to get a third opinion. And, you know, finding the, the doctor that aligned with how I wanted to approach it and wasn't afraid to be really, really aggressive was what worked for me. I'm an aggressive litigator. I liked partnering with someone that was going to be aggressive as far as, and you know, how to go about my, my approach. Um, so it, it, and I'll say, I, there's so many times I speak to people and they're like, well, I don't really have the money to get a second opinion or, mm. you know, I, I might have to pay something out of pocket. I'm like, it's your life. life. You know, there's organizations life. that will help and places will give you a free hotel room. You just need to be there for a day or two. And there will, it, it's not a lot of money overall, right. In the whole scheme of things, Correct. I've been a make a wish grander for 20 years. I know how much a w average wish costs and things like that. But if you need to fly to New York city, stay up in an apartment or a Airbnb or a hotel and, you know, pay that deductible or a little bit out of pocket, you can get second opinions and there are resources out there that will help you pay for it. Do it. Not to say that your local hospital isn't great at handling it, but don't you want to be with the folks that do this all the time? I mean, 
like I said, I'm, I'm a data breach lawyer. I've been named one of the top 40 data breach lawyers in the country for the last 40, five years in a row. This is all I do. I do it all the time. I, I know it. Would you want to go to a lawyer who is interested in getting into this field and has <laughs> only done one, right? The same for your, your team yeah. that's treating you. You want to go to folks that are experienced and that you're comfortable with their, their strategy. It's not to say there's so many great doctors everywhere and every facility that's treated me has been outstanding. But for me, I just wanted to be really aligned with the person that was going to take me through this. It's my life to take me through this journey. So getting comfortable with that, <clears throat> finding programs and, and centers and non-for-profits and things that can help you get that second opinion. It just, it means so much and it just arms you with more information. Knowledge is power. And, uh, I think, you know, we, we just had, uh, I had a doctor from Italy on the podcast and, and this similar topic came up, whereas in the United States, you know, you can go to five different cancer centers and get five different opinions in Italy. It's, you know, you go to the one cancer center and you're getting, you know, regardless of your income, regardless of your job, you're getting the same treatment, you're getting the same protocol, Right. So there's good and bad to that. Right. You got to really make sure that those guys, you know, are really the ones that fit for you. But here I, I think it's, you know, I mean, it's a great country. I'm not I'm not trying to say anything otherwise, but I, I think it's just a challenge. Right. And, and I think going back to what you had said originally and we talked a little bit, you really got to be your biggest advocate and you, you have to really, really advocate for yourself. And, and you know, that's okay. It, you know, if you have a support team and, you know, maybe there's a spouse, I, I've seen plenty of times where the spouse becomes that biggest advocate for the patient, but you have to either you or someone on your team has to become that advocate for you uh, to be able to, to do that, um, I think is critical. I got a couple questions here left. Um, these are, um, I always say the, the last couple questions are always loaded. Um, they're not easy. There's no right or wrong to it. it. It's just really, you know, hearing it from you. But before I get there, I, I, I want to ask you this. I see this not on every episode, but often I see this. Do you ever, have you ever thought given what you've done in your career, your professional career, where you've gone, that path that you've taken, the experiences you've done, the, the, where you've gotten to the level where you're at in your career professionally prepared you for this? Yes. hundred percent. If, I mean, I, I, if I don't, I don't like taking no for an answer. Um, right. Can't like, tell, John. Can't tell. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I'm going to keep pushing it. I've, I've been a trained advocate for my clients. So I knew how to advocate for myself, how to research, how to ask questions, how to strip away the emotions mm -hmm. you know, in a data breach. There's a ton of emotions that are going on and people are hysterical and, but you've got to just get to the core things that you need at that moment and then just be able to pull the band-aid and make a judgment call based on the information you have at the time right you can't let the better be the enemy of the good mm -hmm. and i believe that my my legal training helped and you know just my approach of wow i'm not seeing a lot of women in tech who are also lawyers so i'm gonna go to law school and i'm gonna start my own women-owned law firm right you know i'm no one's going to work harder than me. I'm the most prepared person in the room. I'm going to bet on myself every single time. I love so, yes. it. Do you coach youth sports? Because I think you'd be, you coach your kids <laughs> sports teams because I think you'd be a great motivator. Um, and in all seriousness, I, I bring that up because often as the host here and, you know, taking notes, you see like this arc that people are on, you know, from a professional standpoint, personal, and then, you know, you, you have this traumatic experience and you go, wow, like me as, and me, the listeners, I hope see this as well. Um, you know, it's like, wow, like, you know, she's able to, she was able to do all these things and, and prepare herself for this career and do all these things. And then when you have this trauma of getting pancreatic cancer, you, 
you just adjust a bit, but you tackle it the same way that you would, you know, a work issue. Now, granted, I'm not trying to, we're not trying to say like, this is like a data breach. This is something, you know, 10 times worse, but you were able because of those experiences that you, you put all that work in previously to be able to then to tackle that. And, and I like your attitude that that's why I asked that question you know, about positive affirmations and how you, you know, you live your life. Um, you mentioned, you know, the drug thing, you know, looking at alternatives, you know, that, that wasn't something that just happened overnight. It's something that's been part of you since the very beginning. Um, but it prepared you for this point, you know, and, and that could be one of the things that got you through this and got you to where you are today. So, uh, that's why I bring that up. My next question here is you mentioned writing the file, having that file. Do you think, again, hindsight being 2020, it's a loaded question. Do you think that helped you get through this process? And would you recommend, so two parts, A, did did that help you to get through this journey? And then two, would you recommend people do that? I love this question. I was afraid that if I started to write it, it would mean that I'd given up hope. That right? It's like I'm I'm accepting that yep. this is going to happen. And I struggled with it. And then someone said, just write it. <laughs> you can always throw it away. Like just you're you're spending so much time thinking about whether you should write it or not. Just just write it and then just be done with it. And then you can move on your brain onto something else. And I did. And it's true. Like I, I would recommend it, you know, maybe not day one when you find out when you're diagnosed, right. You don't even know the staging yet. And there's still mm-hmm. a lot of it, but you know, if, if you think you're really heading towards that path, um, the, the, the sun's coming in now. Um, it was very beautiful. It, it really crystallizes you know, what you accomplish in your life, how you want to be remembered, what you want to share in those last moments. And what a gift. How many people die in a car accident or suddenly, right? And and they don't get to say those goodbyes or say that final, I love you. I feel like that opportunity, and I haven't opened it since then, (laughs) since I wrote it, but I think that opportunity is a blessing to have that when so many people don't. So I would, I would highly recommend it, especially if you're thinking about it. Doesn't mean that you're giving up hope. It just, it's helping you declutter your brain and kind of put everything into perspective. And as a lawyer, I like to be prepared. So I felt like I checked that box. It's powerful. Love it. Um, Two part question here. and, And this goes along the line of advice, but you, uh, and, and, why I'm bringing this up is you mentioned before, you know, always heard about old people. And and I know for a fact, there's, there's a lot of young people battling this. I can think off the top of my head without naming names, cause I wouldn't do that, but there's probably five people that I can read off the top of my head, uh, that have young children. And when I say young children that aren't married, not out of college, that's young to me. I have a 16 and an 18 year old and, uh, uh, 17 and 18 year old. Sorry, my youngest son. I, 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 Gave them a wrong, wrong date of birth there. Uh, but those are young kids. Uh, and so given what you've experienced with your family, you have three young kids, uh, you mentioned, what advice maybe would you be, again, loaded question, no right or wrong, but given what you experienced for maybe someone listening that has young children and is going through it, that kind of helped you and your family get through this? Yeah, I it's a great question too, because again, there's just not a lot of resources out there that really kind of get to the point on some of it. Like there's resources, but so my youngest was four when I was diagnosed. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were between the ages of four and seven. And that age group tends to think that anything that happens to a parent's their fault. Um, I'll try to get a little bit out of the sun here. Um, they think that it might be their fault or that they can catch it. And I think that, honesty at their level is really important. And again, you have to remember this was during COVID. So they were going to see everything. Like I couldn't hide this if I wanted to. So I sat down with my little ones and I said, and it was important for me to keep my composure because I'm setting the stage. 
for how we're going to get through this as a family. And I said, you know, mom has been diagnosed with cancer and there's three ways. Um, I, I said, cancer is busy cells. So these busy, busy cells in my body and they're naughty because they're too busy. They shouldn't be that busy. You know how you guys run around the house too much. I'm like, sit down, calm down. It's the same thing. And these cells are being really, really naughty. So I said, there's three ways that we can get these cells to sit down. One is those really bad cells. Doctor goes in and pulls them out. And then other cells, what we do is mommy's going to take this medicine and it's going to have those cells calm down. And then the third, it's really cool. They take a laser, if it's radiation, they take a laser, pew, 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 right? And they're going to kill those cells. That was the perfect way at that time to explain it to my kids. I did not tell them though, that I had pancreatic cancer until I was really over the hurdle. Mm. And when COVID started open, our initial, what we thought was COVID was over about a year ago, um, I took them, I'm from Texas, and I took them on a road trip around Texas. I wanted them to know where I grew up and, and what shaped me as a person. Never driven an RV before, but I packed up my three little ones and myself, and I drove them for a few weeks all over the great state of Texas, from oh, my hometown, my, we went to my elementary school, my high school, uh, my college, every experience I had growing up. I told them stories and we went to that place. And in this RV trip, just confined us, I told them about pancreatic cancer. And I said, <clears throat> I know you know I have cancer, but the type I have is called pancreatic. And now they've been a little bit older, so I could give them a little bit more detail. And I said, if you say pancreatic cancer to some people, they may say, my uncle died of that or my aunt died of that that. Mm -hmm. But just because someone else died doesn't mean that I'm going to die. But I also, none of us can make promises in life either, but I just wanted you to know what I have. And I'll say, wow, the sun's really kind of, they're very, <sighs> very happy in here now. Yeah. Uh, my, my children are, I think because of that honesty and truthfulness, they they, they think I should run for president. They think I'm the most amazing thing that I did this. They are so proud of their mama for what she did and what she went through. They saw the chunks of hair fall out. Mm -hmm. They saw me throwing up. They saw me sleep for hours. They saw me post-surgery. They saw all of it. We were, it was COVID. I couldn't even hide it from them. They saw my wig, the fake eyebrows that I bought, like everything. And they're proud of what I, what I did. And so that's just what I did. Everyone's got their own family and you know your own kids and you should do it however makes sense. But I do feel the right amount of openness and honesty and not making any promises. I've never promised them that I'm going to live forever. No, no one could say that, right? About anything. Yeah, so none of us. That's so powerful. And I, I appreciate you sharing that with our audience because uh, I, I know someone out there. You know, we, we've we've had so many families recently with young children, and and it's just a powerful thing that you you can have with your family. Um, so I appreciate you sharing that with us and with our audience. My last question here, again, a last loaded question, no right or wrong, but given your experience, what you've gone through, and your journey, how does Jennifer Beckage define pancreatic cancer? What's your definition of it? Pancreatic cancer has been my biggest challenge in my life, period. I mean, I faced lots of challenges. I've had lots of things happen to me. I've been through a lot of different trauma and horrible experiences and things like that. This is by far the biggest one. Everything, every other challenge that I now face, it's like, okay, bring it on. You know what I mean? Monkey pox. I mean, what's next, right? Like, I don't, you know. Uh, but right now it's just been my, that's what it means to me. It's just a challenge. Everything has a beginning, middle and end. And I just like any other problem that I have, I'm going to tackle it that way. I love it. Perfect. Jen, for our audience listening at home or watching here on YouTube, where's the best place uh, for people to connect? I know you gave out a website before. I know you're active on LinkedIn. Uh, if someone listening, watching, 
you know, is going through it, is inspired by what you said and wants to reach out and talk to you a little bit more about what they're going through, where's that place to connect? Sure. They can go to beckagebrave.com. B-E-C-K-A-G-E is my last name, uh, brave.com. I'm also on LinkedIn, Jennifer Beckage. I post a lot about my cancer journey and videos there. And uh, my law firm is thebeckagefirm.com. Awesome. And you can Jen, see my cardinal. So. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, thank you for being a guest on the Project Purple podcast and for sharing your journey with our audience and our community with pancreatic cancer. Thank you. You're my cardinal. I love it. Thanks for I love doing it. this. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Project Purple Podcast. If you like what you hear today or what you watch on YouTube, feel free to share this episode and this video. Thank you for listening. Please follow us wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on YouTube as well. Until next time, please be safe. That's a wrap of another episode of the Project Purple Podcast. Mm -hmm.